Hey folks, before we get started, I wanted to give you a special message, and that is from our sponsor of today's episode, and that is the Libertarian Party. So, I get asked this question often, what's the best way, Brian, I can advance the message of liberty? And, and... Honestly, there's a lot of different things you can do. Uh, you can be an activist, a podcaster, an entrepreneur, you could be a comedian, or you can get involved in politics. But what I decided to do was become a member of the largest pro-liberty party in the United States, the Libertarian Party. So you all know I started my show with the goals to educate, enlighten, and inform. But what else? Also advancing those principles of liberty. The LP is the literally the largest political party in America that at its core principles embraces the values of individual liberty, property rights, and non-aggression. The, the other two major parties have embraced tribal warfare versus principal debate. So it's time we stop feeding that beast and put our money where our mouths are. And that means putting petty bickering and nonsensical arguments to the side and actually advancing the message of liberty. And hey, I get it. The LP, like every political party, has its flaws. But instead of focusing on those flaws and tossing stones from the cheat seats, it's time we take some personal responsibility like we promote here on The Brian Nichols Show and as libertarians on a regular basis and take some responsibility in making the LP the best it can be. And you can join me in doing that by going to lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols Show and become a member of the Libertarian Party. Again, it's lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols Show. Even if you're a member already of the Libertarian Party, if you're going to go ahead and renew your membership, go to my link, lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols Show. Do your renewal there. It helps the Brian Nichols Show and you help advance the message of liberty by being the member of the largest pro-liberty party in the United States. And now, on to the show. Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? (laughs) Yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. (laughs) Remember that song, Friday? from Rebecca Black that I remember that came out and it was it was no it still is the worst song well ever it's up there but regardless it's Friday that's that's why that's where this train of thought came from it's Friday and and that means that yes I'm back Brian Nichols the Brian Nichols show here you here we are it's a start to another fun-filled episode of the Brian Nichols show and of course you are in store for a fantastic guest as always as today I am joined once once again once again again by Remzo Martinez Remzo Martinez now he is no stranger to the show um having been on to discuss his first book stay away from the libertarians included in the show notes uh but also to discuss uh his 
experience being censored on social media, um, which is also included in the show notes. Uh, but today, Remzo is here to discuss his brand new book, and that is How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Now, spoiler alert, and I'm, I'm saying this because it is exciting. If you find, uh, listening to today's episode, that you want to get your hands on this book, Remzo has been kind enough to give all the Brian Nichols Show audience a link to his, uh, his book, where you will get the book and... It'll be signed by the author himself, Remzo Martinez. So, guys, I'll reiterate this at the end of the episode. This makes a great, not only present, uh, either a stocking stuffer, a birthday present, whatever, but it's a great book just to read on your own. But hey, let, let's learn about this book. So, on to the show. Remzo Martinez returning to The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, always great to be here. Thanks for having me back on. Of course, you're you're always one of my favorite guests to have on the show because you're always doing wild and crazy, exciting things in your life. And it, honestly, it makes me a little jealous because I'm like, damn, I can't be as cool as Remzo. Bad um, shit always happens afterwards. You can always just say that. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll go with that then. But uh, you've been busy, Remzo. You've been getting some uh, some work done in terms of getting some new books out and you've been getting a new job. So let's, let's just kind of recap where you've been uh, since the last time you were in the Brian Nichols show. Oh, man. Well, uh, last time I think I was actually on the program. I was working for uh, Young Americans for Liberty's uh, Super PAC, went at the door pack. After that, I uh, I started a copywriting business. That didn't pan out as well as I thought it would. So then I got uh, huckstered into working for an advertising firm, which turned out to just be a big giant scam to make me sell Chinese makeup door to door. That's fun. So at the lowest point of that, I was writing a book, which would be my, you know, official divorce of politics, has succeed in <laughs> politics and other forms of devil worship. And around the time that I had finished that, I quit that job selling Chinese makeup door to door. And I was like, I got to just figure out what's going on in my life. And then starting in uh, early July, I, I, uh, I got a job offer to work as a social media coordinator and advocacy outreach coordinator, as well as an opinion columnist and, and uh, opinion journalist over at the Washington Times in D.C. So uh, lots <laughs> happened in a very brief amount of time. Still kind of jumping around. But for the near future, I plan on just, you know, hunkering down and just enjoying what I'm doing day to day at the times. I mean, Rems, I'm going to be honest. I think. I could really see you flourishing in a role as a door-to-door Chinese makeup salesperson. Um, you know, I thought it would be better than it was, genuinely. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe if this is where the logical conclusion of my story ends, uh, maybe I should just be really good at it. But it was a lot harder than you think. Like I, I can only imagine, but you know, I, I will, I dare say, I think you're, you're very well suited where you, you are currently at Washington Times, and I mean, it's been pretty cool. I've been watching as you know, heck, even the president of the United States has, has tweeted out some articles from the Washington Times. So I mean, that's just showing the, the actual outreach you guys have over there. That's, that's pretty incredible. It's been a, it's been an insane amount of fun. And the, the one thing that I always want to specify, I always try and specify my, my terms. Uh, in terms of the of the writing, I still do. I'm not, I, you know, I, I, I use the term commentator, pundit, because people often use that. But I really like to prefer, to, uh, you know, refer to myself as an opinion journalist, because I don't often try and talk about things I don't have explicit firsthand knowledge with. And unlike commentators, I'll actually take the time to go investigate something, to actually go research and report a story, and then come at it from, you know, from an individual biased perspective so at least you know where i'm coming from with things and the washington times has been a great platform for that i've written several pieces as of now in the free time i have about everyone from bill weld to lincoln Shafee and you know even my time as a mall cop and i've got uh, several pieces currently in the docket right now for uh 
uh, few editions of this month's paper. We're five day a week paper, so you know we've always got stuff coming out. But it's uh, it's been a great opportunity. I love the folks there. I love the things that we've been able to achieve, and working specifically in the commentary section of the paper to make sure that we can get all of our content out has been key. And I don't know if you've seen this, but you know one of my personal goals was to get more of a varied intellectual discourse going on because we are a conservative yep. commentary. But uh, several weeks ago, we launched a weekly print column with Young Voices. Uh, Cliff Maloney from Young Americans for Liberty has been published with us uh, multiple occasions just this past month alone. We're getting way more, you know, classical liberals, uh, you know, traditional conservatives into the commentary section, which is so great because often libertarians, I think we kind of just jump into our own corners and we only talk to ourselves. But this is a great opportunity to discuss all these great ideas that you discuss on your show to a wide portion of the population that might not be familiar with it. So it's just been mm -hmm. a great honor to be at the helm of that and really help kind of push that. So tell me what it's like. You're in the newsroom and all of a sudden you see, you know, a tweet go out from President Trump and it's a Washington Times article. What's the reaction like in the uh, the office? You, you know, it's uh, it's always great. You know, we, we compete for those tweets. We're competing for those Drudge Report hits. And, um, you know, it's just... I, I might sound like I'm kind of like, you know, kind of lowballing it, but uh, I, I work in the office five days a week, Sunday through Thursday when we're getting a lot of our stuff ready. And, you know, the, the news cycle moves so fast, especially when you're in the bloodstream of it. There have been days where I'll, you know, I have to watch uh, MSNBC because, you know, if I don't, no one will. <laughs> and, you know, like this week, for example, Chuck Todd's open to show with like, I want to wish you a good day, but... This morning, we all woke up to an American nightmare. And it's like, dude, you said that literally yesterday <laughs> about something else. So I used to be – it used to really stress me out um, at the beginning of this. I worked in a newsroom a while back at uh, the Media Research Center, and it used to stress me out then too. And over the years, I was freelancing, so I wasn't in a newsroom. But being in a newsroom, again, I've got CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all these other places. And I'm the social media guy, so I see the best and worst of humanity every couple of seconds. But, you know, it, it's it, it's amazing to see what people are willing to get mad at and the stories that people prioritize, because, oh, sure. you know, when you actually look at news that's going on and the things that actually affect not just your life, but the life of millions, uh, we, we tend to really lowball the important stuff when we focus on the stupid stuff. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think I hate it when I see politicians on TV and they're like, I trust the American people to make the right choice. I'm like, no, the American people chose to talk about something that has nothing to do with anybody instead of talking about the actual stuff. And it, it can be, get kind of frustrating. But, you know, the, the biggest lessons I've learned is be patient. Um, just kind of ignore the sensationalism, literally do anything else. Just focus on the work directly in front of you and understand that, you know, within 10 minutes, people are probably already going to forget what they're angry about so they can mm. find something else they're angry about. And whatever you do, so, don't read the comment section. Don't read it. It's not worth oh, it. Oh no. Like it's, it, it's never, it, it's never healthy though, that, though there are some people that will message the Washington times, Facebook page. Um, you know, I won't, I won't name people, but we had one woman who was probably in her 50s, 60s. She told us that she didn't like us, so she wanted me to remove ourselves from the internet. <laughs> oh, God um, bless boomers. God bless boomers. I mean, you know, without them, I, I wouldn't have a smile on my face. But it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. It was, you know, kind of like drinking out of a fire hose the first couple of months. But now I'm in a good rhythm. 
Uh, you know, we're getting a lot of stuff done. And, you know, if I can make another safe home for libertarians to, you know, have discussions with folks as well as, you know, just promote good to honest commentary. And I mean, I'm just talking about the commentary section. We have a whole news team as well, which is out, you know, actually investigating stories, reporting stories every day. And these are people that go from, you know, liberal to politically apathetic to conservative. I mean, our reporters are truly varied in their Mm -hmm. beliefs, but ultimately, you know, they understand their job is to go find the story and actually follow it through to its you know natural end instead of trying to premeditate the ending so i mean this is just this is a great place to be and you know if folks if you're not following the washington times right now i really think you should not just because i work there but because i've been reading them and uh i think the only other news news outlet i really respected was the wall street journal so i mean shout out to the wall street journal as well but really if you want if you want a good balanced site that has you know actual news as well as just honest to goodness commentary from all your favorite people. I mean, I can't think of a better place. And to see that there are a number of libertarians who have been able to use the platform of the Washington Times to get the libertarian messaging out there. I mean, that's that's super exciting just on itself because I mean, the Washington Times it, it's you know a conservative outlet, but you know it's it's so exciting and so invigorating to actually see that libertarians now have a, a platform like the Washington Times, and we're reaching you know hundreds of thousands more people that otherwise wouldn't hear the message. Absolutely. When I look at the numbers and when I look at the conversation that people ha- are having with our explicit libertarian writers, uh, Casey Gibbons from Young Voices, he's the editor there. He published a column with us several weeks ago about you know. Um, uh, the the FDA's stupid war on vaping, and then a week after that, we had another article in our Young Voices column discussing why Trump is bad for guns. And you know the the conversation is beautiful because if people are arguing and if people are discussing, you know people might freak out when they see that, but all attention is ultimately good attention if it's done for the right reason of trying to get people to have a conversation. Um, I think George Orwell said it best. When you're just repeating what other people want you to say, you're doing publicity. But the purpose of a newspaper is to publish the things that get people riled up. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, I mean, I think that's the ultimate goal of things. And when I look at you know, uh, media coordinators at other outlets, you, know, you, you can think of a place that's not explicitly libertarian. I don't count reason and the others in this conversation just because, I mean, they, while they are respected amongst you know, the politically savvy community – you know, a good chunk of your American population isn't going to read National Review. They're not going to read um, they don't even Reason probably, Magazine. Like they probably don't know who National Review or Reason Magazine are, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, no, no one, no, you know, ninety nine percent of the country does not care what David French has to say. Not no offense to David French, nor but, know who David French is. <laughs> exactly, but you know, most of your most of your people are either your CNN Democrats or your Fox News Republicans. So if you can get them to have the conversations that those big cable outlets aren't going to have necessarily, um, then I think we're doing a good thing. And it's, it's exciting to see um, some libertarian commentators, too, are now getting platforms. And, you know, this is outside of The Washington Times. But, you know, even look at Fox News, Brad Palumbo, um, who's a you know, friend of the show, and he was kind of doing more work um, on the side back. I think I forget what it was. Young Voices, I think. Um, and then he ended up. He, getting, was a, he was a Young Voices alumni. That's right. And now he's uh, one of the online editors at The Washington Examiner. That's right. And his platform has given him a chance to appear on you know, the morning show for, for Fox News. And he's been on Kennedy a few times. So it's exciting, again, to see libertarians um out there and you know, again reaching those people that we otherwise wouldn't reach 
Yeah, I mean, you got to hustle because the one thing that, you know, ultimately we need to understand is that we're not going to get a libertarian elected president and we're not going to affect overwhelming national policy and we're not going to go ahead and get people to have these conversations unless we actually interject ourselves in it. And that means getting involved in the process of things. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I know everyone wants to be kind of like, you know, the, the term back in the good old days of, you know, the libertarian conversation online used to be so libertarian. You know, everyone wants to be famous for nothing and bitching about everything. But ultimately, you know, you've got to hustle. And, uh, you know, it, it took me a long time to get here. And I'm not necessarily saying that everyone needs to get involved in media. But, you know, there are always opportunities to take your talents and to go ahead and put them in fields where ultimately, you know, you can affect the best outcome because our ideas are peaceful. Our ideas even help out in the business sector because we're fiscally responsible. And, uh, you know, socially, I think we kind of get along with everybody because we just want everyone to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, however anyone thinks they can do that. Yeah, I think they should go and do that. I mean, I'll give you an you anecdote, know, right? Yeah, I, I had Justin Amash on my show back uh, in the summertime, and it was his first uh, actual appearance on a media um, channel to discuss um, you know, his uh, really leaving the Republican Party. And it was an awesome um, opportunity to ask him a lot of questions, but then also have my interview um, reach a lot of people. I mean, for example, I was reached out to by Vanity Fair of all places to do a, a you know a talk about my um, about my interview, and they you know put me into an article about Justin Amash possibly running for for elected office for president. And um, I had a, a high school friend reach out to me who read the article on their own, noticed that I was quoted in it, and then they went to the show and listened to the the interview. And they're like, you know, I never really knew what I was politically, but after listening to that show. I think I'm a libertarian and like that right there, that kind of like put it all together for me. I'm like, okay, this is why we do it like this, that, that actually is, you know, my interview with Justin Amash and then, you know, being able to get, you know, interviewed by a vanity fair because of my interview with Justin Amash, like it all connected and it really shows, you know, why we do this on a day to day basis. We don't get the, the instant gratification. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, you know, the hours, the, the, the just, you know, exhaustion you have when you're trying to, you know, do the, the time that it takes to do the, either the shows or the articles or, or in what we're going to talk about your book, but to then actually see it come to fruition. It's so rewarding. It's just it's so inspiring. It keeps you going to the next day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love what uh, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, once said. It takes decades to become an overnight success. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. It's so true. Um, and speaking of, uh, you know, overnight success, Remzo, you're you're an up-and-coming, best-selling author. Um, now, obviously, the first time I had you in the show was to discuss your first book, which is Stay Away from the Libertarians, which is a great read. And also, I'll include the link to that episode so folks can go back and listen to that. And they'll actually get a chance to, to click the link to go buy that amazing book over on Amazon. But now you're on the show today to discuss your newest book, which is How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. So let's kind of start from the beginning, Remzo. What was the inspiration to go from uh, more of a, a um, you know, I'd say autobiographical kind of um, approach to things from your own perspective as being a libertarian, talking about the different, you know, discussions in libertarian world and how would they relate to um, reaching out to people outside of our spheres of influence. But now you're talking about an actual, um, like, narrative in a, in a book. You're, you're going into an actual story mode. Um, so without giving too much away, kind of set the, the, the frame for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it got to the point in life where I began to realize that whenever we kind of put put ourselves in boxes, especially if other people are pulling us into boxes, you know, societal ones, you know, you're a Republican, you're a Libertarian, uh, you're a Christian, you're not, you're gay, 
you're straight. When it comes to all these things, uh, we, we close off the conversations that we have. And with stay away from the libertarians, I mean, that whole approach really did kind of change my thinking in terms of how am I going to go ahead and expand these topics, these ideas and conversations to people that aren't libertarians. Um, you know, even down to the title, stay away from the libertarians. The idea of that was somewhat subterfuge in a comedic way, because it was like, oh, if you don't like libertarians, you should read this book. And by the end of it, you're saying end the Fed. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, in the first book, uh, shot up to the, to the Amazon bestsellers list in its category, it did remarkably well. And what I noticed was that it was primarily in libertarian circles, even though a good number Number of uh, you know, very you know, tradcon tr uh, traditional conservatives also picked it up, and a few liberals that reached out to me. I say, well, didn't so, even Mike, Michael Knowles and, and Ben Shapiro and them over the Daily Wider give you a, an endorsement too? Absolutely, and that was one of the funniest things that ever happens because people genuinely thought that I was shitting on libertarians at that point. <laughs> but they liked the book too. I mean, they they liked it because I took a very objective look at the modern libertarian movement, and I think we're still very much in the modern libertarian movement because you know now we're post Ron Paul, right? And that's very strange. And you know, I, I know that you have a different take on this, but I also think that the star of Rand Paul is also somewhat you know dimming as as days go by. I think we're in kind of a moment of time where we're kind of leaderless to a certain degree, and I know that libertarians don't like to be led, but Ultimately, that's how all uh, all cultural movements go along, mm -hmm. and we're just trying to figure out like where do we go in this Trump era. Some people like Trump. I like Trump. Some people don't like Trump, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't make you less or more libertarian. But uh, ultimately, of that, I understood that you know, with a nonfiction book coming from a libertarian perspective, I was shutting off a large portion of the audience. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go ahead and do what I've always wanted to do, write a story from scratch, while at the same time discussing the topics I knew. And, for, you know, for most of my adult life, I've been a political consultant, a political operative here in the, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia along the East Coast. And what I had at my disposal were a lot of you know, antecedents, little short stories that would basically make anyone fearful that we have so much power concentrated in such few amount of people that run our daily lives. But I also knew if I write this book as a nonfiction book, much like my first one, I'm going to cut off the conversation because they're going to be like, oh, Remsen Martinez is a radical libertarian. Oh, Remsen Martinez usually votes Republican. Remsen Martinez, all this other stuff. People that think they know me putting their own objections towards reading the story, which ultimately is just meant to be a good story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the whole underlying goal of this book is to ask all readers, regardless of background or worldview or ideology, how far are you willing to go to succeed if you lose yourself in the process? What, what is success if you lose your humanity? So in order to do this, I crafted uh, a historical fiction story about um, a man that many of us know. George Wallace, one of the most infamous evil segregationists of all time. And I talk about his rise to power and how that man almost became president of the United States. It's crazy to think about. So I've got the real historical portion there. But then I have a paralleling story about a political consultant in the post-Trump era who's trying to make his way in the world of politics and the crazy BS that goes on when you try and succeed, the costs that are levied on you. 
So ultimately, it's a dark comedy. It has both, you know, the historical angle of things as well as a, a modern narrative take. And, you know, my, my goal at the end of the day, just as an author, is to write a story that people are going to love to laugh at. And they're going to love it for different reasons. So do and, you, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so far from the, you know, a lot of people that have reviewed it online, you can go check out the Amazon reviews and so the editorial reviews. Mm-hmm. By the time people have finished the book and they read it, they all have drastically different conclusions and takeaways. And they're all like diametrically opposed to each other. And as an author, I love it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this has been, this has just been a really fun experience because when you just go at things from the, aspect of uh, here's just a really good story of some of these themes in between and you're not telling the reader how to think they ultimately you know do the one thing that a lot of people don't want them to they start thinking for themselves and then i mean it's it's been beautiful so what's been one of the reactions that you didn't anticipate from writing the book so obviously if you're writing the book from a libertarian perspective and, and if somebody knew who you were baby um and they came in with the preconceived notion was there anybody that you know was like hey i had this preconceived notion and you know i was completely floored at what i heard that it was completely against what i thought it was going to be or maybe something that you wrote when you wrote the book thinking you were getting a re- as a reaction and then you're getting complete opposite reactions yeah so uh the george wallace story arc which is novelized but it's all true and I, I have all my sources and references cited in the back of the book um that was something what was really funny was so the, the the main protagonist in the book is a young political consultant named art brown so his story starts off right you know on the 2016 election onward and his story throughout the book parallels of the real life of george wallace so growing up, I mean, all we hear about George Wallace is this evil segregationist, you know, this man who talked about segregation forever, just the epitome of, you know, political power for the worst intentions possible in America. But what I wanted people to understand is how does a man just end up that way? Because no one just wakes up being a horrendous human being. Right. He had to make very deliberate decisions, which led him to that point. And then here's the big question. What happens after that? What happens in a post-segregation America? What happens in a um, post-civil rights era America to men like George Wallace? So by understanding his very tragic rise and his much more tragic fall, you begin to understand that everything we see today is deliberate and that people have to make these decisions which will impact the lives of thousands, if not millions. And what is the cost of that? Because George Wallace, for example, I mean, not many people know this, but in 1972, he almost became the Democratic Party nominee mm-hmm. for president yeah. against Nixon. We, we tend to forget about that. The Democrats almost nominated George Wallace. Wild. It's insane to think about that. But what happened after that? Um, he ends up getting shot over in Laurel, Maryland, you know, about 45 minutes away. The man is confined to a wheelchair his entire life. He He's politically irrelevant. His marriages fail. His family's falling apart, but he's still getting elected governor. No, not many people know this, but from 1968 onward, when he got reelected for governor the second time, he won the majority of the black vote in Alabama by 60 to 80 percent. Wow. How does that happen? So all these strange occurrences that we tend to just kind of ignore – All these strange things that happen can only happen in a world where politics becomes our religion. 
And with Art Brown, you know, at the beginning of the book, he's at the top of his career, and then he gets in the league with some bad people, and then he has to fall down and build himself up. And as he's doing that, he has to visualize things again, and he has to make make a lot of tough decisions again. And then he's like, "Fuck! Like, is this worth it? Right? Like, what what is the cost?" And that's the question we tend to forget every day because we live in a minute-by-minute society instead of realizing that we've got more time in front of us than we seem to understand or seem to comprehend. But you know, at the end of the day, what world are we leaving for ourselves and those around us? And when it comes to government, it's not just a game. It's very deliberate, and it can be very dangerous. And um, you know, in terms of the, of the reception I've been getting from people, I mean, listen, if you hate Trump, you're going to read this book and you're going to be like, wow, look, he's talking like George Wallace. He's doing all <laughs> these things just to obtain power. If you love Trump, you're going to be like, wow, these Democrats have always been racist and they'll do everything and anything to obtain power. But ultimately, by the end of by the end of the book, what I want you to do is I want you to say, wow, there are people like this out there in the world. They've always been here. They'll be here going forward. And whether they're promoting my agenda or not. Maybe we should limit the power and authority they have to make sure they won't be as dangerous if, let's say, I happen to be on the receiving end of that. So what's one thing you've, you've learned as you, you were doing the research for this book? Because I, I do know that you, you really made it a point to make sure you were sticking to a, as close to historical accuracy as you can. So what's maybe one thing that you learned that you didn't know as you were doing the research for this? I mean, nuance is incredibly important. I mean, I'm going to get kind of, you know, metaphysical here, but, you know, with George Wallace, it was it, it his life is just so fractured. It's really hard to get a good feeling on the guy. I equate him in, in the novel itself to Anakin Skywalker because starts off good, starts going kind of rogue, becomes an evil Sith Lord. Then he saves his son and kills the emperor but how do we think of him when we think of Darth Vader? Right. We only think of He's him. He's still in the, the yeah, guy in the black suit. Yeah. That's kind of like George Wallace in a way. But then as I was researching his life, and I look at the other characters, both real and fictional I've created. What I've began to realize is that, you know, life isn't necessarily as black and white as we want it to sound, especially when you pay attention only to media sound bites and political puns and things like that. Because I don't think anyone is like a fluid good guy or a fluid bad guy. I think, you know, by our very nature, all people are flawed. And because of that, you know, we can make really good decisions and we can make really bad decisions, but we're not going to do so in a streak. We do so interchangeably to different variations of impact. And when it comes to George Wallace, here you have the guy who's like the poster child for segregationism in the 60s, who's doing so much for the black community in Alabama in the seventies onward and very much in the, in the nineties, he, he died in 1998 towards the latter years of his life. He did a lot to try and heal a lot of, you know, post segregation racial strife in the South. And that was a really shocking thing because you can't learn that because then what you're trying to do is you're trying to become, you know, a Southern segregationist apologist. But the thing is, that's just what happened. And that's not what I'm saying. That's what other people said. And that's how things actually were. So it really, it really made me, you know, somewhat uncomfortable at times because there would be some moments where it's like, wow, I, I, I kind of like that fact about him. I kind of like that personality trait about him. And then he'll just do something horrendous. And you're like, you evil son of a bitch. What the hell? 
And, you know, it was it was really funny at one point because as the book leads up and this isn't a spoiler, but as the book leads up to the assassination, I had uh, to the uh, potent to the attempt to assassination attempt of George Wallace in 1972. I had many people say they were really looking forward to it. And then when they read it and they read what happened afterwards, they feel terrible. (laughs) And I think that's great, because if you can make your readers emotions change on a dime like that you've done a really good job and i Mm -hmm. didn't have to you know let them know about them i didn't talk to people who let me knew they were reading the book while they were reading it i had them come to me of this stuff because i wanted the raw real answer and the thing is if we can see how flawed people can make bad decisions and what they can try and do to make up for it you know, there there are so many opportunities for us to understand the nuances and the complications of life. So ultimately, we could focus less on what happened yesterday and focus more on how to make things better now. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually listening to uh, Scott Horton on uh, on Dave Smith's part of the problem back a couple weeks ago, and uh, they're actually discussing this um, very similar topic in terms of looking at George W. Bush and how really like the the aftermath of of the the war in Iraq it, it like broke him. Um, as a person, it, because, you know, genuinely, it comes down to, I, I think he's a, a good person, and he was just very easily misled, because he was he thought he was doing the right thing, and then he comes to find out, you know, all the, the, the damaging things that became a, a consequence of, you know, the, the war in Iraq, and, and the, the, you know, thousands of lives that people, he sent over there, who, you know, their lives were lost, and it, it really, it did break him as a person to see not only the damage that he really ultimately caused, but also the reaction that was, you know, looked at afterwards and you know Bush is a warmonger and all and you know just go down the the line and it's just you know the reality is we as just individuals are flawed and that's not necessarily something that we can ever fix but it's something that we can better acknowledge and and you know I think there is definitely a path forward for people when they're looking for redemption so long as they're able to look back at what happened and acknowledge that you know that something negative happened and that they're moving forward and trying to make things you know better because of it i mean in you this case it sounds like with george wallace is a prime example of that where you have someone who he acknowledges that he you know was on the wrong side of history to use that phrase that i absolutely hate but to use that uh, essentially and then say you know and i'm going to try to to do my best to fix it. i mean walter jones god rest his soul um you know one of the most courageous members of congress because he voted for the war uh, the wars in uh, iraq and he afterwards after he realized how de- terrible it was he made it a point to be one of the most anti-war uh, members of Congress that's there. I mean, up until his death, I think it was early this year, correct me if I'm wrong, Renzo, I mean, he was the most anti-war uh, member of Congress there was, right up there with Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, and uh, it, that that's something that I like to see, is that people realize that they've made the mistakes, and they try to you know make amends going forward, and they understand, they acknowledge what happened. Yeah, and that's why I was so upset that John McCain had had a much bigger funeral that seemed to last ages, and no one really paid attention to the fact that Walter Jones died of cancer mm-hmm. so unexpectedly. I mean, you know, that's just a personal petty gripe because Walter Jones at least tried to, you know, make some salvage with his life, whereas John McCain went down doubling down. Right. But, I mean, uh, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Schindler's List. And mm-hmm. you look at Oscar Schindler – and I mean, the, the man definitely changed for the better. And, you know, you have some, you know, ideological purists that are out there that were like, oh, he should have left Germany and gone to America and spoken up against the Nazis. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, you weren't there in that situation. Look at the good that he did do. He sabotaged mm-hmm. Nazi munitions. He saved thousands of people and he became an honorary citizen of the people of Israel. Like, you know. 
that that takes a lot of courage to do, especially when everyone around you is saying one thing and you're trying to do another. I mean, it, it takes an immense amount of courage to do so. And right. in politics, you know, ultimately, what, what is the cost of winning if you lose your soul in the process? I mean, there are several people in Congress now representing, um, you know, representing their districts and the House of Representatives now who I once considered personal friends who now it's like I don't even know who they are because they became corrupted by their own greed. And it, it becomes a, a very difficult cir- circumstance because, you know, we tie people with party and we tie party with our entire lives and we turn ideologies into religion. And it becomes very dangerous because when you just pursue power for the sake of it, I mean, you're going to get consumed by it. Nobody mm-hmm. ever gets out of it without you know, a severe cost. And that's right. what I try and show off the book, you know, both the, the, both the storylines of Art Brown in today's world and George Wallace of yesteryear, they're both a cautionary tale of what could happen, but they're also, what I hope people will understand is they're ultimately, you know, stories of hope that it all comes down to very deliberate choices all right, Remzo Martinez, where can folks go ahead and find this fantastic new book? Um, I know I, I, I know that you're going to be able to give us the link, but I think it's good for people to hear it who, if they're driving, they can go ahead and find it um, afterwards. Absolutely. You can go ahead and get my newest novel, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble today in both uh, Kindle and print. Is is now is there now I know this is the, the the main question is there one that's more beneficial to you as the author if they go Kindle versus a uh, print version? Nope, but here's what I am going to go ahead and offer uh, Brian Nichols show listeners today. So pay attention, people. There we this go. is where I save you some money and get you something awesome. I'm going to go ahead and send Brian a link that you can only access through his show notes. If you click on that link, I'm willing to give you a discounted. Signed copy, $7 off, $18 for a signed copy of How to Succeed in Politics, only available for listeners of this show. So if you've made it all this way, good job. Go to Brian's show notes. I'll give him the link, and you can get a signed copy for $18 today. So you save 7 bucks. See, look at that. People helping people. It's a wonderful thing. How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. Remzo, thank you for being so generous. I'll be sure to include that note, uh, or that link, rather, um, to the uh, show notes so people can go ahead and click that right there. So if you are driving, you heard the name, we'll pull over, you know, make sure you, you take your, your your time there and we're being safe. And go or do it to, while driving. Be dangerous. Uh, I mean, you know, what's, it, uh, what's uh, Stanley Hudson say in the office? He says, uh, uh, drive fast and leave a sexy corpse. I mean, there you go. That's Florida Stanley, though. Remember, we got we got to make sure it's Florida Stanley because other Stanley wouldn't say that. But uh, anyways, Remzo, hey, we're we're uh, we're wrapping up here. Where can folks go ahead and find you over in social media so they can stay up to date with all the the works going on there with your 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 novels, but also all the work over at Washington Times, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Hey Remso, H E Y R E M S O. Hey Remso. Easy enough to remember. Well, listen, Remzo, always a, a great time having the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule for uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. Take All care right. as always. And that's my conversation with friend of the show, Remzo Martinez, about his new book, How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. And if this book sounds interesting to you, which I promise 
is a thousand percent interesting, then you are very lucky. As a member of the audience of The Brian Nichols Show, you are getting an exclusive link to Remzo's uh, book, but also it's going to be a signed copy. Uh, It makes a great gift stocking stuffers, a Christmas present, birthday gift, whatever it may be, or if you want to read for yourself, which I can't blame you if you want to. Heck, I did. Uh, So folks, it's in the the show notes. Go ahead and click that link. It brings you right to Remzo's site and you can order the book right there. Uh, But otherwise, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, as always, share with family and friends. Uh, Most importantly, though, if you could do us a a solid favor, number one, head over to um, Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you get your podcasts. Number one, hit that subscribe button, right? Uh, Hit subscribe, but also after that, please give us a five-star rating and also please write a review. That's how uh, the algorithms in the podcasting metrics are able to move us up the ranks and we're reaching more and more people's feeds um, as a libertarian podcast uh, with the message of liberty that so desperately needs to be heard out there. Um, And as always, folks, follow me over on social media, both on Facebook and on Twitter at Liberty. Be sure, right, to go back to the start of the show. If you want to be a member of the largest pro-Liberty Party in the United States, please go ahead and use my referral link to join the Libertarian Party. It's lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols Show. And to conclude, folks, if you find value in what we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show, if you find that whenever you hit that download button every single Friday to the Brian Nichols Show for a brand new episode, listening to fantastic guests talk about all their great works they're doing in their lives, whether it's in the private sector, in politics, or what have you. If you find value in that, $5 a month, Patreon. That's all I ask. $5 a month. It helps us keep the lights on here at the Brian Nichols Show. And honestly, for the greater We Are Libertarians channel, um, all the money goes right back into the network. Uh, So if you could... Patreon, $5 a month subscription, or if it's easier, just say, hey, a one-time PayPal donation, five bucks, again, right back into the show. This is how we keep on promoting the message of liberty. So again, if you find value in what we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show, head on over to the Patreon, $5 a month, or that one-time PayPal donation. Link is in the show notes. But folks, thank you so much again for joining us on another fun-filled episode, yes, of the Brian Nichols Show. Signing off for Remzo Martinez. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.